My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at BroBible.com. Today, as always, I am joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, who you can find writing about video games at comicbook.com. Today, we have the pleasure of being joined by our buddy, Brandon Katz. We have a ton of stuff to talk about today. First, we are going to be hearing Kate's review of The Exorcist believer which has been largely and thoroughly reviled and <laughs> i wish I, is anyone surprised I, I don't think so then we're going to be talking I'm about the season though, two back in my reporting days i actually scooped that david gordon green was in universal we're doing the trilogy oh damn well it still counts the same good or bad well, you still got still, the scoop I would have liked to have seen it turn out well for not only myself, but the fans. You know, really quick today, I saw that he's not coming back for uh, the next one. It was from an unverified source, but... But you don't say. I don't know what you do at this point. I don't know how you turn that ship around. He already said, like, they were, like, post-release interviews were like, he's like, so are you doing the next one? And he's like, uh, we'll see. It's like, he's like writing it, but he's like, I don't know if I'm going to direct it. I'm like... I wouldn't want to do six horror movies in a row based on two of the most iconic franchises in the entire genre. That sounds like yeah. a fucking nightmare. Yeah. All right. So we're going to be talking. Well, Kate is going to be talking about that. And uh, then we're going to be talking about the season two premiere of Loki. And finally, B and I are going to be talking about the finale of Ahsoka and sort of what it means for Star Wars going forward. So first, Kate, you are the only one of us to have seen The Exorcist. I think feel like I remember at the time when it was announced it was going to be a day and date, but I guess they changed that, Brandon. Do you remember? I don't know, because I I, I've uh, never seen any of the Exorcist movies or any of the Halloween movies. That's crazy. I don't really follow those Wow, actually, come think of it, I don't know if I have either. I've seen the Exorcist, but the original, and then that's about it. You um, saw some of the Halloween movies last year, didn't you? Didn't you? Nope. You didn't do that. Maybe I'm thinking no. someone else. I don't know. No, no, no. I, I'm not a yeah. I'm not a slasher film guy. Me neither. Interesting. Yeah, I, I uh, but I'll tell you what. Speaking of horror, Apple TV Plus series, The Changeling. Who be? I know you probably have no time for Lakeith Stanfield, especially these days. Um, but <laughs> see, if I can make you laugh about this stuff, there's nothing I can't do. Let me tell you. No. Put the put all this good energy into the future scripts, because if you can, yeah, Let, like you said, if you can make it laugh on that. Let me say though, it is. Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys have seen it or heard about it in like the space. I, I don't want to quite call it a horror. I told my girlfriend it's more like a, a terrifying fairy tale, but just the general vibe of it, just the overwhelming dread that comes with it. I'm like, this is the type of stuff that I am in this genre for. Point being, Michael Myers, Freddy, Jason, all that stuff, not really my thing. So you are the only one who's seen it. You're not somebody who like goes with the crowd in terms of what they feel, but everybody seems to really not only dislike this, but have like a problem with this film. So 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 talk to me about what is going on there and do it if you can without spoiling it. I'll set up the movie because there are some things that just need to be laid out. So uh, it's a direct sequel to the first movie, kind of like the same way with the Halloween trilogy that he just did. Uh, so it ignores all the other sequels, just the first movie. 
um, you know, 50 years later or whatever it is, uh, this man and his wife go to Haiti in 2010, which is a notable year in history because that's when a real uh, earthquake happened in Haiti. And they use that as uh, the foundation of the movie. His wife dies in this earthquake uh, while pregnant with a child. And um, he has to choose whether to save her or the child. And it then cuts to present day. The child's alive. The wife is dead. And um, you're like, wow, okay, pretty intense start. Um, And there's a man who does not have much faith no real religion, no values. And eventually his daughter goes to the woods with her friend and uh, tries to speak to her dead mother using, you know, voodoo or whatever, Uh, not literal voodoo, Uh, (laughs) but uh, it's, it's a whole thing. And then they uh, go missing for three days, come back and are possessed. And that is the uh, start of the movie. And this movie, the, the, the thing about the exorcist is like, it's not about, little girls being possessed that's like a thing that like you can easily maybe misinterpret but like it's about a drama surrounding everything around the little girl and this catalyst of this event really brings out all these other terrible things that are happening and um this movie kind of ignores that and it's just like two little girls we got two of them this time two's better than one right and you're like i fucking guess and <laughs> You would think that would at least be like, it's like, okay, if you don't want to do like the super like deep thought process of the original movie and you just want to make a horror movie, uh, but it's so fucking boring. It is the most boring mm. exorcist movie they could have made with two little possessed girls. And they well, barely but doesn't do that come because there's going to be three of them, right? Yeah. And I, so doesn't that, doesn't that like come from the fact that this is effectively the first act? Well, you would think, right? But then you get to the end of the movie and you're like, I don't even see how they make two more of these. You know, Mm. like the first Halloween movie of the recent trilogy is like, okay, I can see how you could maybe continue this. There is room. At the end of this one, you're like, okay. It seems like you wrapped up the story with Mm. relative ease. Like, it's a pretty happy ending. They better figure it out because Universal shelled out $400 million for the rights to the exercise. So, B, you think that there's no world where they pull the plug? No, not with that type of money spent. Yeah. yeah, they're absolutely going to. And also, I while well, I know that I'm no longer a, a permanent uh, fixture on this show, I, I definitely throw my support behind giving uh, giving five minutes every show for Cade's Corner. I like this. I like these personal Cade under reviews. Because he actually, I would say that of the three of us, he's the one who actually goes to the most movies. So he's probably <laughs> the most qualified of the three of us. Um, I used to, my movie game used to be strong. Lately, it's been off. I also don't I will talk. say, big news here, seeing Killers of the Flower Moon on Thursday. That's awesome. You'll have to let me know how that is. Right. But yeah, I, I don't so, see how given it's sunken cost fallacy. They have I was to just gonna say out product. Listen, the, the one good thing, well, not, not the one good thing, but in entertainment, unlike you know, a, a really shitty draft pick in sports, every single opportunity, every single at bat, you do have the chance of hitting a home run. Let's say they rejigger the creative team. Maybe David Gordon Green's only a producer, they bring on a different, you know, writer and, and director. They can make a second movie that's very good. You know, we we're just so early in the process. We cannot rule that possibility out. And I, I do think the the one thing about this movie kind of being pretty 
closed at the end. Like there is something that's like, okay, I can see maybe where you're going to take this, but it's like, I don't see the full through line. I don't know. Uh, it's like, there is enough room for them to kind of start over in quotations, like not reboot it, but like they can really start playing with the ideas. Cause so much of everything gets tied up here in this movie. Um, but it's just a movie like, there's a really good idea for an exorcist movie in 2023. I think, right? Like a lot of people would be like, don't bring back that franchise. It's already so perfect. Don't do the, the first one over again. But like, I mean, it's not like they only made one back then. They made a fucking yeah, bunch made, of them. It's not like it was yeah. this sacred kind of film that's never yeah. been defiled already. Yeah, know? it's <laughs> happened exactly. many times over and that's over why, again. That's why it lends itself to a short memory in terms of the audience, too. Yeah. I mean, listen, this is going to leave a bad taste in people's mouths. But if the next one is generating good word of mouth and the marketing's on point, as we've seen more often than not, solid horror overperforms at the box office. It isn't quite as sustainable when those uh, horror films reach uh, uh, streaming. The demand isn't quite there for for horror movies, but it's still solid, can still help Peacock here and there. So I, I can't blame them for pushing forward. I think they have to. And, you know, there's a very good chance they can turn around the ship. Donna Langley is a smart woman. Universal is a smart st uh, studio. I'm not going to bet against them just yet. Quick. Yeah. Reports today that Universal might buy Warner Bros. in two years. No. That's, that's, that's you know, one person, you know, an anonymous source to Variety, which, you know, again, I was a reporter. I get it. But even though that's the most likely combination, it is going to be really hard in that regulatory market for that to happen. And a lot mm. of stuff would have to be sold off and spun off for that to happen. Anything can happen. You know, we know Zaslav probably wants to resell it, but the, the today's report was not like a, a foundational pillar we should base our projections off of. Cade? Um, yeah, I was just going to say, like, the, the Exorcist, like, is a franchise you could probably revisit now because, like, in the 70s, religion was a really big thing, right? I feel like I wasn't alive during that time, but a lot more people went to church in that time than they do mm. now. Religion has kind of fallen out of favor in some ways. Like, it is is a completely different thing now. Um, and you could really do some really interesting stuff with that, given Catholicism and, you know, they bring all these people in to try to exercise this child. And they do something kind of interesting but it's so bizarre they bring in people from different religions to come and try to help this kid it's like a community effort where people from uh catholicism and other religions i don't totally understand come in and try to do what, their what little, is that too that? woke for you kid <laughs> yeah it's just too woke it's just like we gotta really hit all the check marks here no, I'm just um, no but i i actually you know i kind of like that idea i mean i feel like that that's kind paper, of a cool great. way to yes. go about it yeah it's just super weird because we establish it's the demon from the initial movie, which is mm. scared of the Catholic stuff, right? The crucifix and whatnot. And so when you fucking draw this weird salt circle around it from some other religion, it's going to be like, the fuck is that? That doesn't scare me. It's like, I don't understand some of the ideas in this movie. And the, there are like nuggets of ideas right there are nuggets of ideas that are like you're so close to something so mm. fucking cool but you pull away at the last second in favor of doing the dumbest fucking shit you possibly can one of the things that happens in this movie is like i said the, the girls go away for three days and then they return possessed one of the parents in this movie basically looks down the camera and says you know jesus went away for three days when he died and then he came back <laughs> and you're like are you do you think I'm fucking stupid? Like, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't understand 
it's the most dumbed down version of the exorcism they could have possibly made. It's boring. It's not scary. The I won't spoil it, but the the one thing that they do with Chris McNeil, who's the mother of the child from the original movie, they bring her back and you expect her to be kind of like the Jamie Lee Curtis character. And they just fucking do the most stupid bullshit I've ever seen. With yeah, these, I mean, I characters in my life. I've heard she's sidelined uh, pretty aggressively. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, it is. I mean, it's, she's old. It's almost she's, like they hate she's it. She's an old woman. She, she's, she's 90. Old woman. Yeah. So, like, I, I get, like, but it's also, like, why fucking strength. do it? Don't underestimate grandma strength. <laughs> well, she doesn't showcase her strength in this movie. I'll tell you that much. She fucking walks in ready to, you know, lay down some business to this fucking demon. And the demon's like, fuck you. And it's pretty. Sounds like a massive failure stupid. on all fronts I, I don't in terms understand. of rebooting. You're, you know, reinvigorating this franchise on the first try. Yeah, it is yeah, the most uh, layman interpretation of The Exorcist possible, and it, it's not scary. It's not interesting. It chickens out of a lot of its most interesting concepts, and I don't really want to see more of these. And I know right, I was gonna say. So, what would possibly compel you to see the next one? Uh, curiosity. I'm going to curiosity. Yeah, I'm like, can they make it worse? Like at this point, can it get worse? Um, <laughs> And I, I just, I don't understand. There's a lot of decisions made in this movie that make me think um, they either hate the exorcist or they don't understand it. Or maybe there was even some studio interference telling them you need to do this instead of that. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're talking about the season two premiere of Loki. All right, and we are back. The Loki season two premiere, which was titled Mid-Podcast Google. Orbrius, or whatever the guy's name was. Oh, Orboris. Yeah, thank you. Hey, Hugh Kwan, you want to talk about just nailing, like, actor and tone of show? That is a home run. And because you can sort of see a world where he becomes like a, I don't want to say novelty act because that feels mean, but you could see people using him that way. But in this, it just feels like a perfect fit. Anyway, 10.9 million views in its first three days of availability. I wasn't able to find how that um, B just laughed. Why? Because you think that's bullshit. I just don't like the estimated completed views metric that is becoming kind of the industry standard because these streaming services know exactly how many unique accounts, unique members of their paid mm. customers watch, but they're choosing to do this, you know, which is an estimation based on uh, running time. And it's, I'm like, you guys have the real numbers. The reason you're not is because this allows you to control the narrative more and, and, you know, not, disrupt the message you're trying to sell to uh wall street and consumers so i just i just don't love the metric right okay fair enough uh i didn't find uh how it relates to the mcu but that puts it second on the disney plus shows of the year behind only the season three premiere of the mandalorian and it seems alongside the three of us behind the first episode of ahsoka oh it is okay then i I believe so i had to i'd have to double that's shocking to me are you sure about that I'd have to double check the time frames, but uh, I think they were both in the opening weekend. But again, I'd have to, or for opening three days, but again, double check me, fact check me, 
people. I think uh, alongside the three of us, the general thought out there seems to be that this show is, I don't want to say operating at a higher level because the MCU ceiling is only so high, but it is clearly striking a chord that the other shows haven't seemed to do thus far. So going into season two, was this already your favorite MCU show? I I, I have made it known that I am less high on the show than you guys and I think some other people, but I would say it's definitely the best. And I would say with this episode, I'm like, oh, I get it now. Like that Danny DeVito oh. thing from Always Sunny where he's like, oh, I get it. That's me now. I'm like, all right. Really? B? Uh, it's my 1B to WandaVision's 1A, but it also has the benefit oh. now of having multiple seasons. So while I've read mixed reviews for, for uh, this season and I no longer get Disney Plus screeners, I really loved episode one. And, you know, this has the chance to leapfrog it because it's an ongoing story if they nail it. So I shared my thoughts on season two last week. So I'm curious to hear what you guys think that this show seems to understand. Like I touched on that it hired it, like especially in season two, it hired directors that I think are perfect for the tone of the show. Benson and Moorhead did one, four, five and six. And these guys, as I told Cade, the perfect brain leaks out of your ear mind fuck time travel timeline folding in on itself guys nailed that i think that the idea of them creating actual sets and not using a volume gives the world a sort of textured feel that a lot of these shows and films have lacked in the last few years so how do you guys what do you guys think that this show is doing that sets it apart from not just the mcu shows but Pretty much the MCU at large these days. I think what I really liked about season, uh, about this first episode, even though from a plot standpoint, it was a bit running in place. It was just done with such a sense of gleeful abandon and uninhibited funness, which I know is not articulate or a word, particularly for someone who used to be a critic. But that's the sense I get. Everybody is going balls to the wall, both in kind of in performance and the context of the scenarios that they get in, that it just makes it so stylish and enjoyable. It is a runaway car that's on fire in the best way possible. It, it is Mardi Gras in a can. I, I think it embraces the absurdity of comic books. Uh, I, I like that idea of the, the runaway car where it feels like it has no pun intended, branched off from the MCU in a way in terms of its its style and aesthetic and um, ability to, despite the fact that a lot of the MCU hinges on all of the events in this show, I think, the ability to still separate itself and feel like you could probably watch Loki just on its own, I think, as its own thing and, and probably be just fine. Um, you wouldn't understand maybe the consequences that later come from it in the larger uh, universe, but what we have here is really special. Um, and I think it just embraces, again, creativity of the comic book genre in a way that I feel like the Marvel universe is slowly receding from. I mean, I guess to, to put it in a very direct comparison, Quantum Mania is something that should have felt very empowered by creativity in the cosmic universe, or I guess it's not even cosmic, but you know what I mean. Um, right. uh, with that style, but it feels like the most generic flat bullshit I've ever seen in the comic book genre. It feels like something from the early 2000s, whereas Loki's like, we're going to take similar ideas and do them in this much more broad way that feels um very empowering, I would say. 
I think to build on that, what you're saying, and it just kind of sparked an idea in my head is that it builds on, it builds around the central character without losing the central character. And what I mean by that is it's so great in core concept. Loki is the most arrogant character out of every single MCU mainstay. And he finds out, A, I'm just a variant. I'm not even kind of the original Loki. I'm meaningless. Now what's my glorious purpose now that I've kind of lost everything I believed about myself and my life. And yet, even though that's a humbling experience for him, they still allow him to be this kind of arrogant know-it-all who literally falls in love with himself, which is the most narcissistic thing in the world. And it just works. It so organically meshes with what we already know about the character, but builds outwards in new ways. And I think a lot of the MCU series have had great central conceits for their characters, but have failed to build on it. I kind of think of uh, Moon Knight, which I still like more than you guys, but it's all over the place, very messy. I, you know, I think of kind of um, Falcon and Winter Soldier, which again, I really like the core concept of the, both of those unsure heroes trying to take up the legacy of their mentor hero. That got a little bogged down in, in distraction. So I think Loki stays focused, stays true to the character, but allows that character to evolve in really cool ways. Well, just the one thing I was going to say was like, I also think this particular season gets away from the mystery of the first season, which I think is where I started to get frustrated with that show initially. Cause I think a lot of the MCU's trappings lately have been, we're building up to a mystery. We're building up to something you want to see almost kind of like the Iron Man three thing with the Mandalor- uh, the Mandalorian. Uh, what the fuck was his name? Uh, with the rings, oh, the, Mandarin. The, the Mandarin. That's right. And that turned out to be something else entirely. Uh, I think some of these shows have kind of done something similar where we're building up to something. We're building up to something. And I feel like that the first season of Loki had that with the TVA is like real true purpose. And I was like not satisfied with that. I found that very uninteresting. And the mystery was very underwhelming mm. until you get to Kang. I think that was a little bit more interesting. But this season is like, we're done with that. We know what everything is now. We are just fucking reveling in the chaos of it. And I'm like, this is what I'm here for. This is what I want. Your guys' two thoughts combined made me think that this... um. You know, this kind of and it sort of touches on our chat about horror films, too. I find horror films have the unique challenge of the thing that the movie usually hinges on is what effectively unravels it, i.e., the movie is yeah. a less a lot less scary once you know what the monster on the poster is and what it wants. So Loki is kind of dealing with that same challenge here, right? They literally, not did, not only did they get to the monster, they got to he who remains, right? Like, this is the most, like, oh, guess what, guys? He's a bad guy type of dude that you could ever have. So the fact that season one was built on, like, where does the TVA come from? Who is controlling this all? To then get to him, and then to largely succeed in introducing him, people were blown away at the time, right? People were like, holy shit, we're fucking back. Kang is sick. This is going to be awesome. So the way that they've seemed to have tackled that, where it's like, all right, let's 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 zoom in on what the TVA really is. And what it ultimately is, is a rec- incredibly bureaucratic system. What happens when the head of that snake is cut off? Your systems start failing left and right, but there's still people left behind, variants, real or not, that have to deal with this within the context of their whole understanding of their purpose collapsing around them. So I love the idea of having these characters coping with that, 
hoping with finding out that they are human beings somewhere at some time. I think um, Hunter B-15 is incredible in this first one where she goes from sort of the main alpha Hunter in the first season to being like, these timelines have real lives. I thought you were going to say Hunter Biden for a second, by the way. I was like, what? Did I miss something? He he probably (laughs) gets so coked up he's been to the TVA. Once you do enough, time ceases to exist. So I'm sure sure he can relate. Marvel series have have struggled is because you feel when they drag and you don't maybe always understand why, but you feel like I'm losing interest in this scene and a half and then it comes back. And I think what Loki's done well through B-15 and specific three, specifically through OB is really creative and really engaging exposition. Both of those characters are essentially dumping exposition to the to those audiences in almost every single one of their lines of dialogue in episode one. And yet they're either done in a very emotionally compelling way, such as B-15 trying to argue on behalf of not pruning variants who are essentially innocent people, and OB through his conversation both um, in the past and the present and having that very creative uh, uh, delivery framework. So, you know, episode one didn't really drag because they managed to do the quote unquote boring parts in a special way. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the elephant in the room, and that is Jonathan Major. It's playing a central role to this. Loki is the first MCU project to directly involve him coming out all of the allegations against him. Do you think the series will do something to address it? If not, like, look right into the camera and be like, go to school, kids. But I'm saying, like, uh, effectively change the plot and recast him and use the sort of timeline multiversal to actually try to do something to fix their problem. Well, we already know they didn't reshoot anything. So, oh, okay. Right. You're right. You know, means at the very bare minimum, they do not have someone else that they have put into this show unless because I mm. think they were done would have been done filming by the time. I so think then this... no, then I guess they're fucked. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> I think ultimately, if they were going to recast him, they would have done it by now. And the fact that we've gone this long without any sort of announcement, I think it's majors locked in. Ooh. Yeah. All right. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that I feel bad for Disney, but I will just say they're stuck between a rock and a hard place here. They really have no move. I don't know what they're supposed to do. I say just let Owen Wilson play every what role because he's incredible. B, I mean, can you speak to like if you were hired to tell them what to do? Can you speak to what you would say or no? I honestly have no clue. It's such a weird, terrible situation to be in for so many different reasons, but... You know, I I don't know what they're doing. I haven't heard anything, but my gut is the fact that they haven't jumped on it yet. And usually you see these things play out pretty quickly. I I think he's locked in. I like the idea of if you were hired to help them, you'd be like, dude, I don't fucking know. (laughs) I would withdraw my my application for the job. (laughs) Wow. Bob Iger's being paid well enough to deal with those problems. Uh, All right. Finally, I just want to touch on with Loki being such an enduring character in the MCU. Why does it Marvel do more villain focused stuff? The next one is Agatha Darkhold Diaries, which is your guys faces say it all. It's a wet fart right in your mouth. Why don't they do more of this? People clearly respond to it. I have long said that the next one should be Dr. Doom and they should get you to sympathize with the character of Victor Von Doom, and that would make his 
ultimate villainy that much better. Remember, Noah Hawley was developing a Doctor Doom movie for Fox. And like, why not just at least have a meeting with him and be like, could this be, you know, massaged into the MCU? Because it was it's just such a great opportunity. Yeah. Well, isn't the rumor that they're doing Galactus for Fantastic Four? So maybe they're not even going to do Doctor Doom for a while. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the next MCU big bad is just Doctor Doom. I'm okay with waiting till like 2028 for the X-Men, but I I think you got to get Doctor Doom in a little sooner, right? In some form. It doesn't have to be like a main antagonist project. I mean, uh, yeah, outside of Magneto, he's my favorite Marvel villain. I I think that he brings something that really the MCU doesn't have, wherein until they introduce mutants who aren't really human, but... This fucker is human, but he has godlike powers. So I, I you know, I, I, I just not saturated as a character because of the failed, you know, Fantastic Four attempts yeah. over the years. We really haven't gotten any sort of definitive take. It's not like, oh, we're getting like another Wolverine, another Professor X, right, which exactly. yes, I'm excited about, but because it's not coming till 2028-ish. But yeah. Doctor Doom, you can slot in everyone be like, fuck yeah, this is my guy now. I think yep. Victor Von Doom is also a character that's like um foundational to the fantastic four so even if you don't make him doom right away you can just have him yeah there as a guy that's like i'll be here when you're ready yeah i mean you yeah. know if breaking bad can do mr chips to scarface why can't the mcu do victor to doctor love that that's, that's your bar. pitch right that's there bar, dog <laughs> i'm gonna cut that <laughs> part out of the podcast um <laughs> all right let's take a quick break and when we come back we will talk about the ahsoka finale Alrighty, and we are back. We are talking about the season one finale of Ahsoka. Brandon is our resident Star Wars expert, so I wanted to give him the chance to just sort of get his feelings off his chest. I I didn't start to watch the show at the start because I did not watch the cartoons that it's based on. I saw people having tons of fun and giving it tons of praise, so I hopped in midway. Really enjoyed the few in the middle, so maybe four, five, six, seven. But then eight completely lost me. But more so than eight, I think that the series fell apart following the introduction of Ezra, who I just think is too much of a whip spewing, plot armor wearing, Jesus eyed looking kind of cornball that threw off, I think, the balance of the show. I think that not only was the finale not particularly exciting in terms of like plot resolution, um, but I didn't think it was particularly well acted. I didn't think it was well shot. There is a viral clip that I've seen. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's of uh, the three of them, like the three main Ahsoka, Ezra, and who's the third one? Uh, Sabine. Sabine. Yeah. Like in like a lightsaber duel. And it's just the most stilted and boring kind of shot that you could imagine in the Star Wars world. So and then, of course, there's that final shot, which I I literally laughed out loud at. I guffawed. I don't know if that's if, if that's the word, but so tell me your your thoughts because not only you know you have the context of what all the stuff is supposed to mean with the mothers and the brothers and the sons and the and the the, the mountain that had a man's face carved into it and all this other shit. So ultimately, I think. Ahsoka was average to below average. And I agree with you that it had some strong episodes in the middle. I thought the first two were solid. I thought most of the lightsaber fights in action were sick. I thought the visuals were pretty incredible. But man, did it just fail to call last. And, and I went back in a uh, group chat and I found some of my kind of, my I listed out all the things that I, I kind of disliked. 
And I'm just going to go and read that because I think that kind of hits at where this show went wrong. So first of all, very muddled arc for Ahsoka herself with a resolution to an unclear issue occurring in one episode, resulting in unearned changes that feel out of the blue in the back half, specifically how quickly, you know, her, her flashback arc was, was resolved and how that changed her completely without really any, any movement. Uh, I thought really predictable character work for Sabine that was telegraphed to a grading degree, uh, waiting way too long to in- reintroduce Ezra and Thrawn, which impacted the pacing. And to your point, as a non-Rebels and Clone Wars watcher that you are, I, I loved those shows, but I think reintroducing them a little bit sooner, even though I understand you can't kind of, for lack of a better term, blow your load too early, reintroducing them earlier, having a couple key flashbacks, not overdoing it with exposition, but a couple really helps establish why those characters matter. Um, completely mishandling Thrawn and failing to establish him as the threat that they're trying to build up to. And that's exacerbated by just inexplicable plot armor and illogical character decisions throughout. And that's for everyone, not just Thrawn, though he was definitely victim. Uh, not having Ahsoka and Thrawn ever meet and, you know, with a finale that felt like an incomplete story, setting up plot lines that weren't earned. Uh sidelining the two most interesting elements in Balin and Shin, who are basically non-existent for the last couple episodes, uh, over-reliance on Clone Wars and Rebels knowledge and payoff, uh, thematics mm. that are told instead of shown, and payoffs that require huge leaps of audience buy-in because they weren't properly established, developed, inexplicably inexplicably delivering needed context in the final episode. So specifically, Hu Yang explaining, to Ahso- explaining uh, the Ahsoka-Sabine breakup instead of having that really critical piece of context earlier in the show. Uh, everything in the Hera storyline felt like an unwelcome distraction from the real action, even though I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead and I love the character from the originals. Um, and then ultimately, I- I'm lost as to what the main takeaway from Ahsoka the show is. It, it is. Genuinely, what is the intended lesson meant to be? Because I'm not sure. And should that lesson and overall most important primary theme been have some been somewhat expressed in the conversation between Sabine and Ezra, where she should have finally told him and admitted that she put the entire galaxy at risk to come find him. And that's a conversation that inexplicably never takes place or at the very least is never shown on screen. And as a storyteller, I cannot wrap my head around how Filoni just hand waves something that crucial away. And I know I've been uh, ranting for a while now, so I'll just kind of end it with this. I think the Clone Wars and Rebels and even the staunchest Filoni supporters will agree that he's his track record's kind of marked by a lot of boring filler that leads up to like two to three episodes of the greatest Star Wars content you've ever seen. And I feel like we got a handful of episodes here that had the potential to be stand out and show the potential both thematically, uh, visually, creatively of what Ahsoka could be and just failed to deliver, failed to coalesce and ultimately was the wrong direction to take this show in what is franchise building pillar after pillar. So you didn't like it. So... It has moments of greatness, you know, moments of goodness, but ultimately, no, I, I'm disappointed because it could have been so much more. And I think what I would have preferred to see is a slower, more contemplative series uh, about reckoning with the past, about, you know, Ahsoka trying to do good outside the established parameters of very known authoritarian bodies, you know, such as the Jedi Order, because she's she's not a Jedi. 
and plotting a future that isn't beholden to the fears that we have that, that connect us to horrible happenings. So I, I would have liked a kind of more meditative, uh, uh, nuanced version of that. Instead, what we got was action to set up the next thing to create a crossover that also had some more action. Which yeah, hey, well, I that's like- kind of uh, that's kind of the final point that I want to touch on for a studio that in the last few years has famously had a hard time getting films off the ground. How do you think that this show makes them feel about this planned Filoni verse film that they said that they were going to do? Are they feeling better, the worse, the same? I will have to see more of the ratings data information to come out from Ahsoka. Um, it's doing well in Parrot Analytics' demand metric. It is doing okay, not great in Nielsen's U.S. streaming viewership. You know, it has dropped uh, over the first, I think, three episodes we have data for. Um, so we'll have to see. By season's end, we'll have a better idea of what they're feeling in terms of a, a commercial entity. How I'm feeling is someone who really doesn't like the Mandoverse all that much. I have no interest in seeing that movie, and yeah. I'm a huge, massive Star Wars fan. Will I go see it opening weekend? Yes, of course, but uh, I'm not really stoked about that. You know, the only thing that's gotten me really excited about Star Wars uh, content in the last couple of years is Andor and the prospect of the Acolyte. So you think they're still on course for this film, though, that they're not going to pull the plug, that they're not going to change it to a show? I'm not sure. You know, Mando season three performed really, really well. Did really, really well. Despite, uh, I mean, despite, no, yeah, it's not, it's not shocking, but it's not good. Uh, Book of Boba Fett did well. Ahsoka seems to be, again, doing okay. Not amazing. We'll see at the end. And then we'll see how Skeleton Crew performs, which is the last show in the Mandoverse. I'm personally not very Ooh, excited about I that. I forgot about that one. Based on Jude Law? Jude Law, but it's, you know, it's supposed to be kind of E.T. and Goonies ask and follow a handful of, like, uh, young, you know, people. Uh, uh, kids i just feel like we've gotten more than enough of those archetypal stories particularly in this 80s nostalgia resurgence that we've experienced over the last you know seven eight years yeah so that doesn't that just doesn't really interest me very much on paper you know the amblin star wars on paper sounds like a good idea it, it, I just feel like we've done that, particularly in the sci-fi space. You know, mm. I have Stranger Things. I don't really need to get that fix from from Star Wars. They've also been te- a bunch of High Republic books that are set in Star Wars galaxy that have a very right. similar structure. I, you know, it just does nothing yeah. for me. All right, that's going to do it. Make sure to follow K... Uh... How do I end the? I love how sometimes my brain just goes blank on something that I've done hundreds of times. As it um, should you got the, you know, we don't hit home runs every time we're at the plate. Exactly. That's going to do it for this week's show. Make sure make sure to follow my buddy Cade at Kate underscore Onder and all the work he does at comicbook.com. Make sure to follow Brandon at, oh my God, what the fuck? <laughs> make sure to follow Brandon at great underscore Catsby and all of his numbering at Parrot Analytics. And myself at Eric underscore ITAL and my market profile.com. My brain's shutting down right now. I don't know what's it's happening. It's almost 730 on a Tuesday night. We need to get on. I'm not having a stroke over here. Uh, look, I, I can't not, I, I can't close the show and not address this. We talk about you being quote unquote part of the tribe quite a bit on this show. You are a proud Jewish man. I am not smart enough to talk about this stuff. So if there's something that you would like to say, please, Brandon, go ahead. Listen, I'm not smart enough either. Believe me, we can't sum up a 2000 plus 
year conflict at the end of a pop culture podcast in which we just ranted about Star Wars and Marvel. But I would just say try to be understanding and empathetic to one another, even if you're on opposite sides of an issue, and that nobody should uh, should be killed when you're just innocent citizens on all sides of the issue. They have nothing to do with conflict at hand. I concur. Today is also World Mental Health Day. Check in on your friends. Be pal. Love you, man. I'll talk to you later. All right, y'all. Peace. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. 